0: from Corinth to a little, not a little church, but to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a seaport city. Paul had gone there after he went to Philippi. He had gotten uh, imprisoned in Philippi. You know the story, the Philippian jailer got saved, the story of Lydia. Uh, Paul leaves there, heads up to Thessalonica. He ends up in prison there. He's only in Thessalonica, as we know, for about probably three weeks. And in that short amount of time... uh, A number of people came to Christ, but it also caused a lot of problems. And so Paul then goes on to Berea and eventually makes his way to a town called Corinth. That's the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul, while he's in Corinth, on part of his second missionary journey, writes back to the church at Thessalonica. And that's the book we have in 1 Thessalonians. So as Paul's writing there, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to help them. He's trying to, again, it's a young church. It's just getting started it's it, starting to get grounded. It's facing a lot of persecution. So Paul writes to them and, and wants to encourage them. So he talks a lot about where where he is and where the church is and what's going on. So um, with that in mind, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 2 today. Uh, we'll be finishing up chapter 2. He's talked already about the idea that they've been entrusted with the gospel. He's tried to encourage them with what's going on, and you're going to see that even more so today. So here's here you go. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul, right out the bat, talks a little bit about the ministry that he had while he was with these people. And one of the things that helps us here is if we look at this, we can understand what, what God expects of us as believers. Because what Paul did there, he's modeling for us to do in our lives every day. Notice what he says. He says, you remember, brethren, our labor and toil laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul was an apostle. As an apostle, Paul could have relied on other people to support him. But one of the things that you see with Paul, particularly in his early ministry, is when Paul goes into a place, he did not ask those people for money. Uh, Later, you're going to find churches support Paul. But when he comes into a new place, Paul then relied on his trade to support him. Every Jewish boy... Uh, learned a trade. It was part of the thing. They learned a uh, physical, hands-on kind of trade so that they could always fall back on it. Uh, let me say this. Let me take a quick rabbit trail. Parents, I, I, one of the things I always tried to teach my boys was this idea of you can have a skill, but you also need a trade. You can, you can, you can do the white-collar thing, but you also need a blue-collar thing. Uh, to be able to, depending on what the economy goes, that you could go either way. In this culture, every boy had a trade that they had learned. Paul's was tent making. So often when Paul would come to a new area, he would go and work at a tent maker shop, or he would hang up a shingle and say, hey, you know, I fix tents. And what he would do, notice what he says, he says, I labor night and day. So he would teach these people, and then he would work. And he would teach these people, and then he would work. One of the things that he demonstrated to them was the idea of, look, I'm not here about your money. I'm here to minister to you. One of the reasons we do money here, the way we do money here, is for that very reason. We don't want visitors to come in here and think they have to support this. One of the reasons we don't do fundraisers, one of the reasons we don't do bake sales, one of the reasons we don't do that is we don't expect the world to support God's work. We believe God's people support God's work. And Paul said, look, I'm willing to come in here and say, you know what? I'll work so that I can preach. I think one of the things that we're losing in our culture is this idea of hard work. And unfortunately, what has happened is we have adapted to a generation where we have assumed that play is work. And one of the things, if you'll think about it for a minute, some of you were brought up on a farm. You learned your work ethic because you went out and worked with your dad or your mom or whatever else on the farm. Now, we've lost that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that what you do is not hard work, but let's be honest. Your hard work now involves air-conditioned tractors with GPS monitors. And it's not the same as it used to be. And so now a kid gets in a tractor and it doesn't have air conditioning. He's like, well, I can't do anything. Because what's happened is we, we've gotten to that point in our culture where, we have become, where we've gotten away from this idea of hard work. I think one of the best things you can teach your kids is a work ethic. And those of you who are in small businesses or those of you who are hiring people know how, how hard it is to find somebody that has a decent work ethic anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, you can, t- you can tell who hires people. Um, I mean, it really is. Why? Because we've lost that in our culture. And if you'll think about it for a minute, again, I'm not slamming the young people. I'm, it's a cultural issue. And part of it is, think about it for a minute. On the far, like my, when my kids were growing up, it was always easy for me to find something for them to go work at. There was always something that needed to be fixed. If nothing else, there were rocks to be picked up in the yard that had gotten there from the gravel driveway. There was always something. There was always something. I and mean, if you got animals, you can always feed the animals, clean out the thing, go water them, go do this, go do that. But think about it for a minute now if you live in the city. Okay? What is there that's really hard work for a kid to do anymore? You know, yeah, mowing the lawn on a riding mower, you know, um, you know, mowing. But again, you know, we are so limited in what you have. So it's easy for us and our culture to go that route. One of the things Paul does is he says, look, you know, you watched time out. Listen to this. You watched me work hard. And that's another issue. In the old days in the farm, you got to see your dad work hard. If you grew up like I did, I watched my dad put on I watched my dad work hard, but I watched my dad put on a suit and leave the house. I don't know what he did during the day and then he would come back home. You know how I learned hard work from my dad? When I was in 6th grade, my dad decided to remodel our basement. Now, the total sum of my dad's building experience was 0. My dad had never remodeled anything in his life. And he said, we're going to remodel the basement. I said, Dad, my friends are out playing football. That was back when we had neighborhood football games. Remember that? Um, and we had all the politically incorrect games that, you know, you know, we used to play Smear the Queer. Those of you who were there, you know, you remember the game. You know what I'm talking about. That was a different time. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but, you know, that, we used to play it a lot. Um, and... Uh, it was a football game we played in the neighborhood. But anyway, I remember I get like, Dad, the kids are out playing. And my dad was like, no, 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 we're going to remodel the basement. No, 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 Dad, we're, we're going to remodel the basement. And I'm like, Dad, <laughs> as respectfully as a sixth grader can say this, Dad, you don't know how to remodel a basement. And my dad taught me something very important. He said, you know what, I don't. But we got the Reader's Digest... Um, LSD, remember that book? I have them. I bought my kids one. Make sure they had them. I remember sitting on the step reading to him what we were supposed to do next. And you know what we did? When I was sixth grade, we remodeled our basement. And I watched my dad do the office thing, go off in his suit, come back in his suit, change his clothes, go down to the basement, we remodeled the basement. And I learned hard work. And I learned, I learned that from my dad. But, you know, we, we've got to remember that, that Paul demonstrated this. He said, look, when I was there, you watched me work hard. Notice what else he goes. He said uh, that we may, wouldn't be a burden to any of you. And he said, and we preached to you the gospel of God. He said, you know our heart. We were there. We passionately wanted you to do what was right. And he said, and you are witnesses of God also, how devoutly and, uh, devoutly and justly and blamelessly we'd be saving ourselves among you. He said, you watched us. You watched us in a relationship to God. You watched us in a relationship to each other. You watched us in a relationship to ourselves. You sat there and you observed all of that. And then he goes on to say this. And as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. This is one of our roles as believers. To exhort, to comfort, and to charge. Here's the idea. In the Greek language, these are really interesting words. One has a short-term focus. One has a long-term focus. So when he talks about here this idea of we exhorted and comforted um, and charged you has to do with the passion with which they did it. But here's what he said. You know how we exhorted you. That's a short-term focus. And we comforted you. That's a long-term focus. Here's the way we would say it. Let's say my kid was playing baseball. And I would come to my kid and say, okay, now look. I want you this game to hit a home run. And... I want you to play the whole season. I don't want you to quit this team. That would be the two words there. We exhort you. I want you to hit a home run. We comfort you. I want you to end it for the long haul. Paul said, you saw us come there and we we helped you short term and we want to encourage you long term. And that's the role of us as believers. We need to do that for one another. And there are times that Different ones of us go through different struggles and hardships and things like that. And we need people to come along and help us during that short term. And as a group, we need to help each other long term. And that's what Paul said. Then he goes on to say this. Charge you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He said, look, our goal was to help you live the Christian life like you're supposed to. And that's what we want for you. And then he goes on. Um, Listen to what he says in the next thing. He talks about, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, and here's the key, which also effectively works in you who believe. Here's what Paul said. The word of God is something that's living in you. It's something that God works in your life to help you as you work out. It is not just a textbook. It's not a novel. It's not like all the other stuff that you read. It is different. It has a different dynamic to it. And Paul said, it's alive in you. And then he goes on to say this, verse 14. Uh, Going on, guys, next one. For when you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ, you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and do not please God as our, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that, we may be saved, that they may be saved, so also to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. All right, we've got to back through this whole thing and, and, and help you to understand it. Here's what he says. He said, look, you, brethren, became entertainers of the churches of God which are in Judea. These people started to face persecution. People started to come in and say, look, you can't do that. We're not going to do business with you anymore. You're not allowed to go here anymore. You can't come over to our our part of the city anymore. They started persecuting them. They started causing problems because these people were telling people about Christ. And if you're a Thessalonican who has become a Christian, you start to question this whole thing. And Paul writes to them and says, look, look, look. Let me tell you what's happening. And Paul gives you some really good insight on how to handle difficult things. Um, I've been in ministry for, for a while now. I'm like 30 some odd years. And in, in a matter of 30 some odd years, you, you have people who don't like you. Okay? Um, and so you learn in the ministry to, as one pastor once said, he said, you want the, the, um, uh, you want the hide of an elephant, but yet you want a tender heart. Because, you know, it can get ugly at times. And, and people, can, people can be cruel, and people can be mean, and people can be vindictive. And that's just, that's just part of the package, okay, that comes with it. But one of the things that happens, and I have a lot of pastor friends who, who when they, they came up against this stuff, it, it, it discouraged them to the point that they got out of ministry. And, and that happens a lot. Um, I look at the kids that I graduated from high school and college with who are headed to ministry, and, and there's not many of us left, in all honesty. For one reason or another, they're out. Um, and, and I don't fault them for that. I, I, you know I, That could have been my story as well. But um, one of the things that, that, that is a big issue you deal with is difficult people and difficult circumstances. And Paul here gives you some really great insight on how to handle it. And so if you've got that person who maybe has been a problem with you or, 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 or all this kind of thing, let me walk you through this passage to help you understand how to put it in perspective. Notice what he said. Um, he said, first of all, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from Judeans. Paul looks at him and goes, look, guys, you're in good company. Okay? They're persecuting you because you're sharing the gospel with other people, but you need to know, they did that to Jesus, and they did that to the prophets. So that's the norm. So don't think you're special that you get to sidestep it. He said, that just comes with serving God. That's one of the things that happened." And then he goes on and he says, notice what he says, and they do not please God. Paul said, one of the things about what they're doing is it's not pleasing to God. So here's one of the first questions I ask. When I find myself in those kind of circumstances, one of the questions I ask is, are my actions pleasing to God? Okay, Look at yourself first before you look at anybody else. Are my actions pleasing to God? Am I handling this situation in a way that honors God? And then I ask this question, are their actions pleasing to God? Because this is very, very important. If their actions are not pleasing to God, whose problem is it now? Let me ask it again. If their actions are not pleasing to God, whose problem is it? God's. It's not mine. That's very important. So when I look at situations, I say, are my actions pleasing to God? Okay, yeah, as best as I know, my actions are pleasing to God. Are their actions pleasing to God? No. Okay, then you know what? Now this is God's deal. I need to step away here. This is God's thing. And that's what Paul says. He says, first of all, their actions don't please God. And notice what else he says. And they're contrary to all men. Here's what Paul said. He said, and you know what? It's not just about you. They don't get along with everybody. They don't have a problem just with you. They got a problem with them and them and them and them and them. Listen. That should give you some insight. Because when I step back and go, as far as I know, my actions are pleasing to God. Their actions are not. But you know what? They don't just have a problem with me. I mean, they got a problem with that person and that person and that person and that person and that person. And then, now here's what I'm going to say. And you're going to have a problem with this, but you need to embrace it. If that is what's happening then it's not personal. It's personality. They have got a problem with everybody. You're not special. You just happen to be one of everybody. It's not personal. They're having a problem fighting with everybody. And one of the things that I look at is I step back and I go, okay, is this, am I the only one they have a problem with? And if I come back and go, I'm the only one, they get along with everybody else, then I have to step back and go, man, the problem's me. But if they are having problems with everybody else, then that's what Paul said. He said, first of all, he said, he said, what you're experiencing is normal. Jesus and the prophets experienced it too. He said, secondly, you have to step back and ask yourself if your actions are pleasing and whether their actions are pleasing. Their actions are not pleasing to God. And they've got a problem with everybody anyway. Why would they not have a problem with you? they got a problem with everybody else. And then notice what he goes on to say. And, And they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Look at their agenda. What is the real issue here? Is the real issue they have a problem with me? And Paul goes, no, no, no. The problem here was you're doing something they don't like. You're telling people about Jesus. They're getting saved. They're leaving their group and they're joining another group and they don't like that. It's not about you. There's something deeper going on here. And when I step back from situations and apply this, this helps me be able... I'm not saying it makes it easy. It helps me be able to handle it. When I step back from a situation and go, okay, you know what? First of all, you know people are people and this just comes with ministry. Secondly, Am I responding in the right way? As best as I know how, am I doing what's right? Are their actions right? Are, are their actions pleasing to God? And if they're acting in an ungodly way, then you know what? It's going to be, God's going to have to deal with them. It's not my job to try to get even with them. That's God's deal. And then I take a look at them. So uh, I'm, It doesn't help. I don't like theory, so let me make it personal. So let's say, Layla and I have a good relationship, okay, as far as I know. Um, <clears throat> If he's got a problem, he hasn't told me. But anyway, so let's say, okay, Lael's got it. Let's say Lael uh, goes out and talks about me and everything else. So here's how I would do it. i step back and i go, okay, first of all, um, it just comes with ministry. That's just part of ministry is people problem. That, that's natural. It's nothing out of the realm. But in my response to Lael, am I being loving, am I pleasing God with my response? And the answer is yes. Then I have to look at Leo and go, "Okay, now is Lale's actions pleasing to God?" If he's running around saying all kinds of stuff and doing all kinds of stuff, then the answer is no, they're not. So my next question would be, "Am I the only person Lael doesn't get along with?" And if I go, "No, no, no," I happen to know that he's got a problem with Chris and he, Brian doesn't like him and Gail and <laughs> you know, and I know he's got a problem over here with you know with, with Dwight and earl and lynn and don and okay then i can step back and go you know what i don't think it's just me because the one common denominator in all of that is Leo. now if on the other hand it's like lao's got a pro- it's just happy with everybody and it's just me then i gotta turn around and stop and look at me and go you know what is this a me thing am i the issue here and so i step back and i look at that and i go okay you know what leo has got a problem with everybody well, then you know what? It's probably not personal. There's probably something else going on. And they may go, you know, well, you know, it's because, you know, you said something about, you know, you used an illustration that I didn't like. Okay, is that really the problem? I mean, you think that's really, really, really the problem? And that's what Paul does. He, he zeroes in on what's the real problem here. The real problem is Gentiles were getting saved because of what they were doing, and he didn't like it. So what it might come down to is, you know what Lael's real problem was? He was having a tough year with crops. He was just taking it out on everybody else. Okay, that's the real problem. It's not about me, because he's got problems with everybody. And that helps me to be able to step back and put it in perspective. And that's what Paul does for these people. He says, look, you guys are getting persecuted, so you need to know. It's, it, you, know you need to know that all churches go through this, so this is normal. And you need to know that what they're doing is not pleasing to God, so God will take care of them. And you need to know that the real issue here happens to be the fact that Gentiles are getting saved, and they don't like that. And then, and here's a very important part. Notice what he says at the end. Because at the end of this, he says, Oh, no, go back, guys. Go back, go back, go back, 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 back. There we go. So always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. This is probably one of the saddest things about this. Remember I said that if they're not pleasing to God, it's God's problem? When Paul writes this to the Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, what's happening is the Jews are persecuting the Christians. Depending on when you put place the writing of this book, either as they're reading it or very shortly after they read it, the Romans are going to come through and basically obliterate the Jews. The temple's going to be destroyed, Rome's going to be in power, and the Jews are going to basically be decimated. What's ironic is, the things that the Jews were doing to the Christians, now the Romans would do to the Jews. In other words, when Paul says, look, they're not pleasing God, God will take care of it. And I've learned a long, long, long time ago, God can deal with those situations far more effectively than I ever could. And it's not my issue. God needs to deal with them. And, and, and I want to remind you of that. because And for those of you who you might be that person, you need to ask yourself, are you fighting God? Or are you fighting that person? And, and sometimes we're fighting God. And, and that's why, you know, you've got to be really careful here. And then he goes on. Notice what he says next. Um, uh, i go to the next passage. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, I, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. He reminds him. He goes, look, guys, this is a spiritual battle. Don't forget that. Don't forget this is a spiritual warfare that we're up against. And he goes on to say, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul says, look, we want to get up there and see you, but Satan, you know, every time we try, Satan gets involved, and and we don't get to make it and all that kind of thing. But here's what you need to know. There's coming a day that we're all going to be together for all of eternity, and it's going to be an awesome day. And, by the way, Thessalonians often refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the book's going to end. And he's constantly giving people that hope. But look at the last phrase, because this is important. He says, you are our joy and glory. Not stuff, people. So, a couple of takeaways um, for us today and and things that I think we can apply. Here's the first thing. Paul writes this thing saying, look, we need to be an example to the people around us. And I want to remind you that people are watching. You know, we don't think they are, but they are. And this world is so messed up, you don't have to do a lot to be noticed anymore. Um the 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 rosberger Rawson report or whatever it was this week had a fascinating deal in it. The theory was that you can you can actually save money and get perks just by being nice. That was the theory. So, what he did was he got one of his his uh his uh, uh I not want to say minions, but one of his worker bees. And he set her up for a three-day trip. Plane ride, motel, and all that. Set it all up. She dressed in, in very, very conservatively, so this wasn't a sexist thing. And he said, here's all I want you to do. I want you at every turn to be nice and see if they'll give you free stuff. That's, all, that's the entire premise. For three days, I want you to be nice and see if they'll give you free stuff. So she goes to the airport with her bag. Her bag weighs 52 pounds. Now, 50 pounds is the limit. It's a $100 charge for anything over 50 pounds. It's at 52 pounds. She comes up. She talks to the the gal at the ticket counter and is really, really nice to her. Tells her about her day. Ask about her day. They're back and forth. They're, They're talking back and forth and that kind of thing. She puts her bag on and goes, I just had the hardest time getting this thing all packed and everything else. And you see on the scale, 52 pounds. And she looks at him and she goes, that'll be $25 for your bag, man. She goes, um... She goes, actually, it should be $125, but don't worry about it. So she paid $25, saved herself $100. So she gets to the rental car place. Plane lands, gets to the rental car place. She starts chatting with the rental car guy. And she goes, is there any chance that I could get, like, an upgrade? He upgrades her two levels of cars for the same price. Then she goes to a motel. Or the hotel. She goes to the hotel. She's chatting up with the guy, and she says, "She said, you know, she said, I, um, you know, this was the best room that I could book. Is there, you got anything else available that you could just kind of like give me like a free upgrade and everything else?" The guy goes, "Well, I'm not supposed to do this," but gives her the executive level, um, buffet bar, the whole thing, the special lounge, all that, and and it comes out to. She gets back home, racks it all up. She had over $350 worth of perks given to her for one reason. She was nice. In a report, here's what he said. He said, what we've learned is these people get abused and beaten and taken advantage of and ridiculed so often every day when somebody's nice to them and they have it in their power to be nice back they do because they see it so rarely. Now, what a sad commentary. And if anybody should be nice and kind and loving to people, should it not be the children of God who have experienced the love of God? But you see, we forget that people are watching. Um, some of you who are on Facebook have seen this picture. Here's, let me tell you the story behind it, and then I'll post it for those of you who didn't get to see it. Um, yeah, that's my that's my wife, Gene 2.0. Um, here's the deal: they, my wife they were they were down my wife's in Virginia and they were down in um, they were down in. The, uh, okay, yeah, leave that one up for right now. That's good. They were down in Virginia and uh, they went to the Harley. Dealers. They were on the boardwalk in Virginia Beach, and her and and, and Claire and all them. And they were, they they went to the Harley dealership. And uh, my wife tried on this shirt and. Uh, <laughs> If you know anything about Harley stuff, you know, HD, $100. Um, uh, So, anyway, so she tried on this shirt, and they laughed and joked and stuff like this. And her sister thought it was such a hoot, thought it was such a hoot. She said, I'm buying it for you. If my sister preacher's wife will, I'm buying it for her. And then they got Claire one. So, here's Claire's. Let me show you. Go to the next one. Okay? So, this is Claire's. Okay. Now, so... This is what's coming home to me. Um, anyway, <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. Now, yeah, you gotta get rid of that. That's gonna be really distracting at this point now, in the story. Okay, so that's the story. Okay, now, here's what happened. I posted this on Facebook. Everybody's been commenting all that. Last night, one of Jean's, um, one of Jean's, Jean Gene has had this family. We've known this family forever, but they have two boys, and their two boys have both been in Jean's class. Okay. One of them's a teenager. One of them's um, just recently been in her class. Mom decided to show the picture of their kindergarten teacher to them. Okay, So she, she waited until they got home, and she said, hey, I want to show you guys what Mrs. Thomas did over the summer. Shows it to her kid. The one kid goes, that is awesome. How cool is that for Mrs. Thomas? Okay. The other kid went ballistic. How dare she do that? I can't believe that's not the Mrs. Thomas I know. ba 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 blah 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 i am so disappointed in Mrs. Thomas. Da, da 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 And then when he saw the picture of Claire, he realized, okay, it's just a shirt. Okay? Because he thought she'd actually done the whole sleeve tattoo thing. Um, now, here's why I say this, okay? And said, you know, he was really relieved when he found out she didn't do the whole sleeve thing. Um, here, here's why I say this. Both kids have had her. Two very different responses. Why? Because their expectations were different. One of them looked at it as she was cool. The other one looked at it as, you know what, that's not the image I have of my kindergarten teacher. And I'm disappointed that my kindergarten teacher would do that. Here's why. Both of those kids have certain expectations of what their kindergarten teacher is, and should be, and should look like. Now, you need to understand, the world has an idea of what Christians should be. Now, if their ideas are are consistent with the Word of God, then we really need to consider what they're doing and what they're saying. If their ideas are not consistent with the Word of God, then we don't have to pay attention to it. But the bottom line is this, the world expects Christians to talk a certain way. Let me say it this way, the world expects Christians should not talk a certain way. And there are certain things in our vocabulary that very honestly don't reflect Christ. People are watching, people are paying attention there are certain expectations that the world has. And by the way, this goes both ways. The certain expectations. You find out that you have a diagnosis of cancer. The world has a certain expectation of the way you should handle that. And they expect you to be depressed, and they expect you to be all bummed out, and they expect you to be, why me? And they expect that. By the same token, you have an opportunity to show them something different. The world is watching. And that's what Paul said. He said, we walked among you. We let you see us, our life up close and personal. And you know what? We modeled for you what we believe the Bible says. Now a certain expectations the world has that you know what is just, you know, one of the reasons I dress the way I do in the community is because I'm trying to diffuse some of those ideas of what a preacher is. You know? And I love it. I mean one of my favorite things is when I look like a regular person and somebody doesn't realize that I'm a preacher. You know, when we are pouring cement and the guy talking to me and goes, Hey, who's the pastor here now? You know, I'm going, that would be me. Uh, you know, uh, and we got to talking and stuff like that, and he goes to a good church, and we got to talking church stuff and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, you know why? Because there would be typically of a preacher is not somebody who's out pouring cement. You know, there are certain things I want to break the mold of. But it's important for us to understand they're watching. And the people, you don't think they're watching, but they're watching. And that's what Paul says. second idea that he talks about here is this. Look, this is a spiritual battle. Understand that. Understand that. It's a spiritual battle. You're, you're, the stuff you're going through in your marriage right now, spiritual battle. The stuff you're fighting at work, spiritual battle. Finance stuff, spiritual battle. Why? Because Satan really doesn't care how he gets you sidetracked as long as he gets you sidetracked. So there, there are forces at work to try to hinder what God wants to do in our lives. Like Paul said, he said, You know what? He said, Every time I tried to come to you, something would come up. Satan would get involved. Understand it's a spiritual battle. But in the end, we win. And that's what Paul says. I'm looking forward to the day that we win. I'm looking forward to the day we're all together again. And the last thing that he says, and this is what I love about the last verse, you are our glory and joy. This is my hobby horse, and the older I get, the more hobby horse it becomes for me. But here's the thing. When it's all said and done, it's not about your stuff. When it's all said and done, it's not about your health, not about your bank account. You know what it's about? It's about people. It's about people that you've invested your life in and the people who've invested their lives in yours. You really want to find meaning and purpose in your life this week? Invest in people. Find somebody that you can pour your life into this week. I'm amazed at how much this will change you. I'm amazed when you start to see things. You will see a whole different side of, of your world. It will give you a different reason to get up. It will give you a different reason to do what you do. It will give you a different reason to go to work because it's not about the job or the paycheck. It's about the people that you can impact at that place. It will will give you a different way to shop. Because every time you go to purchase something, it's not about getting your stuff now. It's about being able to talk to a cashier. It will give you a different outlook on all of the things that you do. Why? Because people are eternal. They matter to God. And God gives us the opportunity to interact with them. And all of those people, no matter how bizarre it is, God brings into your life. And I have been amazed, you know, again, I got, I, you know, when Gene's gone, I, you know, I, I, I get to do things, like I say. I get to do things I don't, so, so th- I've been jumping on, on the bike and just riding, and it's been awesome. And I've been amazed at, I've been amazed at the places I end up and the people that I run into where I get an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, I haven't seen you for a while and strike up a conversation and talk to them and get involved in them because I made time. To do that. And I just want to challenge you. This week, find somebody, a person that you can invest in. It might be your own kid, it might be your own spouse, it might be your neighbor, it might be your coworker. Invest in somebody. Do something unique this week for somebody else. Invest in their life. Because Paul said at the end after all the traveling and everything else and all the places I've been, you want to know what my joy was? You want to know what my glory was? I got to be with you. And I can't wait until I get to be with you for all of eternity. And Paul reminds us of that. So that's my challenge to you. So I end with this. People are watching us this week. We may be the only example of Jesus they see. Our words... Our actions, our attitudes need to reflect the teaching of God's living word in our life. It's a spiritual battle with eternal consequences. Invest in people this week and allow your joy this week to be found in ministering to the people God brings into your path. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we get so caught up in our schedule and our routine and our stuff and our things, and it's easy, Lord, for us to lose sight of what's really important. So, Lord, may we step back and enjoy our time together. May we step back, Lord, and realize that, uh, Lord, we have this incredible opportunity to be with people. And, Lord, help us to be able to be maybe the only Christ they see. May they see Christ in us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, we look forward to the day that we can all be together forever and eternity with you. And we ask your help, Lord, to uh, live our lives differently this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, We're going to stand. Let's sing.